Welcome to The Rock Church, a vibrant, enthusiastic, edgy church meeting in West Bridgeford, Nottingham. You can find out more about us by visiting the-rock.org.uk. We hope you were blessed by this message. Okay, so now it's time for the word. This is the time in the evening where we hear from God through one of our preachers and we have the beautiful Debs Lee. So come on, Deb, let's give her a hand. Amen. everyone. <laughs> so the title of my message tonight is called Wanting the One Thing. There it is. So the one thing is something that is most important to you. So what is the one thing that you value the most? What is the one thing that has given you the highest priority? I just want you to think about that for a minute. In the Bible, David said in Psalm 27 verse 4, one thing I ask from the Lord this only do I seek. Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 13, this one thing I do. And then we've got Mary in Luke 10, verse 38, where Jesus said, only one thing is necessary. Now all these three have one thing in common, and it's about their intimacy with God. All these three wanted the one thing. Their relationship with God was the most important. They wanted to sit with God. They wanted to learn from him. They wanted to rest in him. And they wanted to build their relationship with God. And in Jeremiah, 20, uh, Jeremiah 9, verse 23, it says this. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom. So some people's one thing is knowledge. Or the strong boast of their strength. To some people, it might be about power. Or the rich boast of their riches. To some people, their one thing is money. And that's the most important thing. So what should, what should it be about then? In verse 24, it says this. But let the one who boasts, boasts about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For these I delight, declares the Lord. In John 17, verse 3, it says, Now is eternal life that they know you, the one true God. You know, we'll never be assured of salvation unless we know God. Our old Christian faith, the old reason that we're here, it's about our relationship with God. It's about our intimacy with God. You know, we love to serve him, we love to do stuff, but it's not about religion. It's about us and God and Jesus that wants a relationship with each one of us. And that's the most important thing. St. Augustine said this, to fall in love with God is the greatest of all romances, to seek him the greatest adventure and to find him the greatest human achievement. Can we say this evening that we've really found Jesus in an intimate way? Because, you know, we can come to church and we can do things for God and we can come in week in, week out, but do we actually know him? Ali spoke about this a couple of weeks ago about knowing Jesus. But, you know, do we have that intimate relationship with him where you know what he's saying, where you know what he's thinking, where he knows what you're thinking? I want to look at um, a well-known story tonight in Luke 10, verse 38, about Mary and Martha. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. 
But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one, only one thing. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So we've got here, we've got a story about that Jesus was going to Mary and Martha's house for dinner. So Jesus loved this family. He loved Mary and Martha. He had a really nice relationship with him. There was Lazarus as well, the brother. So whenever he was going around teaching or whatever he was doing, he'd always pop in to see them. You know, like you've got that friend where you always make time to just go in and pop in and have a cup of tea or whatever. So he was, he was invited around for dinner. So it wasn't just Jesus at this dinner because he obviously had his 12 disciples with him. So you've got Jesus, the 12 disciples, You've got Mary, Martha, Lazarus. So you've got 16 people. So obviously there's a lot of preparation to be done. I don't know if you've ever had to cook for 16 people. You've had 16 people around your house for dinner. But I'm assuming it can be quite stressful if you've got 16 people coming for dinner. Well, I was thinking about this, and the last few years, I've had the, me and Glyn have had the joy of um, doing Christmas dinner at our house. So we have about, I think when we've got all the family there, there's 11 of us. Well, that's not even 16, and that's enough to prepare for. So you know what it's like, Christmas, you want, you want it to be special, don't you? It's not like your normal Sunday roast, you want to do extra stuff on your dinner to make it nice. Because you've got people coming around, so you want to make a nice starter. Glyn does his uh, Brussels sprouts, whatever he does to them. I can't stand Brussels, so I let him get on with that bit. And make a nice pudding, and... We have a bit of a tradition now the last few years that on Christmas Eve that my sister and her husband come round and we, we have an afternoon of preparing the veg, it sounds really boring, but we make it into, we have like a little party and have the music on, have a glass of wine, preparing the veg is always better with a glass of wine, so we, we do that on Christmas Eve, get everything ready, because there's loads to do when you've got people coming for dinner, and then you've got Christmas morning, so most of the morning, me and Glyn are in the kitchen making sure that everything's ready for everybody coming around for dinner. And then, obviously, they come around, then you, you've, you've got everything ready, you're all having your dinner. And then afterwards, whatever happens to everybody on Christmas Day, you're just like, oh, you've eaten far too much. Why is it on Christmas Day that you just absolutely stuff yourself, don't you? You always feel more stuffed on Christmas Day than any other day. So... What happens, what happens in our house anyway is that everyone gets up from the table and goes and sits in the living room to ready for the Queen's speech or Home Alone or whatever film you're going to watch on the, in the afternoon. And then uh, me and Glyn go into a bit of this Martha mode where it's like, oh, what's going on here then? We've got a, a kitchen full of pots, we've got all the pans, then all the plates, cups and everything else to clear away. From, and everybody's gone and sat in the living room. So this one, was it last year, I think it was, we were like, we weren't happy, was we? <laughs> so you start cleaning up, you're a bit annoyed, but then when you hear from the living room, somebody shout, oh, can we have a cup of tea? <laughs> that, that does it. So we put the kettle on, <laughs> we, put, <laughs> we put the kettle on, make a cup of tea, take it in. And then it goes better when your cousin says, 
oh, can you just move that coffee table a bit? I can't, I can't quite reach my cup of tea. Well, you try and keep a Christian attitude, don't you? But I tell you, it was hard. Now, if Jesus was in that living room, I can tell you now, I would have gone in there and I would have said, Jesus, come on. Can you just at least tell one of them to at least make the cup of tea? Just one thing, wouldn't you? you? And that's how I felt. And, you know, we weren't happy. We've, we've had a meeting this year, and Dad's got a team together, ready, to do the clearing up duties. <laughs> so we're going to have our dinner. We're going to go and sit in the living room, and we're going to put home alone on, aren't we? And wait for our cup of tea to come in this year. I'll let, I'll let, I'm sure I can bring it into next year's preach about what's actually happened this Christmas. <laughs> so, you know, I can assure you that, you know, if you have trouble with this story... You're not the only one, okay? People will say, oh, I think Martha was right. I mean, you can't just ignore things that need to be done. Jobs need to be done, don't they? People have also said, I don't think Jesus was very fair to Martha. Because you can, you can see it like that. Because Martha gets a bit of hard press in this story, doesn't she? Because you look at the story and you think, it's always portrayed that Martha was the one in the wrong. Well, actually, what she was doing wasn't wrong. You know, the dinner, Jesus was coming for dinner. If Jesus were coming to your house for dinner, you'd, you'd want it to be everything to be perfect, wouldn't you? You'd want it to be prepared. But, you know, this whole occasion that should have been happy turns into a bad one for Martha. A bit like that Christmas day. Uh, you know, it's Christmas day. It should, it should be a happy day where it was my fault because I was the one that got annoyed. Everyone else was okay. But, you know, because you get, you get those thoughts and you get annoyed and you're saying, oh, come on. You know, who's the person that suffers? Not everyone else sat in the living room with a cup of tea is watching Home Alone. It, it's, it's the person that, that's having that attitude, which was me. So let's look at verse 40 again. It says, but Martha was distracted with all the preparations. Martha is so busy serving Jesus that she's not paying attention to Jesus. That she's been distracted off, distracted off the one thing that is most important. Could we be so busy serving God that we're distracted in actually listening to what he's saying you know sometimes we can be so busy doing stuff that needs to be doing and we can actually be distracted in what God is trying to say to us of course food is important people have to eat to survive don't they food's always important isn't it I love food but but what if food becomes our focus then that's the difference isn't it and often we place a value on ourselves based on how busy we are how often do we say, oh, I'm so busy? I think I've had, I had a few conversations with people at church this morning, and most people I spoke to, oh, I haven't stopped this week. It's been so busy. And we, we say it all the time, don't we? It just falls off the tongue. It's a, one of the first things we say when we come on together and we meet on a Sunday. Oh, I haven't stopped this week. I've been so busy. And we end up, we have a, frank, a frantic life rather than a focused life. And, you know, we're like Martha when Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you are worried about so many things. Perhaps the best thing we can do is stop rushing and start resting in Jesus. Stop moving and start meditating. And, you know, we need to refocus on these things that are really important. And I've got, I've got a few questions that I want to ask you. When I'm asking you these questions, I want you to just answer yes or no in your mind, Okay. Question one, do you check your work emails and phone messages at home? So even when you're not supposed to be at work, do you check your emails when you're at home? Question two, has anyone ever said to you, I didn't want to trouble you because I know how busy you are? 
Question three, do your family or friends complain about not getting enough time with you? Question four, if tomorrow evening we're unexpectedly freed up, would you use it to do work or a household chore? Question five, do you often exceed the speed limit while driving? Obviously, we could all say no to that, don't we? Question six, do you have a hobby in which you are actively involved? Question seven, do you eat together as a family or household at least once a day? Now, if you've answered yes to two or more of those, you're probably a Martha. And I think Martha runs deep in all of us, if we're honest about it. Without realising, we tend to go into Martha mode, don't we? Um, it's easy to get out of focus in our Christian life, but we need to remember that our lives and our Christian walk is based on our relationship with Jesus. It's the most important thing. And you're probably thinking, oh, why is she saying that? This is the three months of busiest time. Obviously, Ali and Kate aren't here. People are stepping up to do more than what they would probably be doing before. We've all got more to do. But actually, there's no point in getting stressed doing that stuff if, you're not, if you've not sat with Jesus and had the, you've got the relationship with Jesus because it don't work. You'll end up burning out. You won't be as effective as, as God wants you to be because we've done it the wrong way around. If you've had that time with Jesus, if you've had the time where, like Mary, where you can just sit at his feet and listen to what Jesus is saying, then we're so much more productive. You know, I think for myself, like coming up here to prepare a word, it doesn't take two minutes. It, you know, it's a lot of preparing. But I know that when I've had time with Jesus and spent time spe listening to him, to what he wants to say, I find it so much easier to, when I'm preparing because I know what God wants to say. If I've not had that time, I'm doing it in my own strength and it doesn't work. And then I get stressed out thinking, what am I going to speak about? Oh, I've only got two days. And it's totally different. We get stressed out. So I want us to look at, there's several things that happens when we get our lives out of focus. And the first one, loss of focus causes questioning God's care. We look at verse 40 again, it says, the first thing Martha says to Jesus is, Lord, don't you care? When she was frantically running around that kitchen, Lord, don't you care? There seems to be a bit of accusation in her voice. Lord, are you not paying attention to what's going on in here? Lord, can't you see all the work that I'm doing? Don't you care about me? Martha was angry at Jesus because he wasn't doing anything about the situation. He was going in there, she was going in there expecting that when she said, Jesus, don't you care? She was expecting him to say to Mary, come on, get off your backside and get, get open in the kitchen. But when he didn't say that, you know, Martha wasn't happy about it. I wonder if you've ever wondered if God cares for you. Have you ever accused him of not caring for you? Have you ever questioned where God is in times of trouble? I know I have, and I'm sure at times we can all be guilty of saying, you know, I've said, oh God, where are you? God, do you care in this situation? But those times when you know God can fix the situation, but he sits in silence, they're the worst times, aren't they? You know, you know God's there and he's going to do something, but you're not hearing it. You're not seeing it. You're not seeing it in that situation that you're in. And so we think that God doesn't care. Well, it says in Hebrews 13, verse 5, 
Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. You know the truth tonight? God always cares. Whether we think it, whether we believe it or not, you know, God cares about your situation. God cares about your marriage. God cares about that illness. God cares about your workplace troubles. God cares about every situation. And sometimes it might feel like there's a silence. God, where are you? God, come on, like Martha. God, what are you doing here? Please, come and help me. But God, God cares. And you know how we know that? We know that when we sit at his feet and we're in a relationship with him and he's talking to us, we, don't, we get confused if we don't have that time with Jesus. And that's what happened to Martha. She was concerned about her roast rather than a relationship. <laughs> Loss of focus always confuses the issue. And we do, don't we? we? We get confused with it. When we've not had that time with God, when we don't truly know him, then we don't realize how much he cares for us. God always cares for you. Secondly, loss of focus causes finding fault with others. The second part of verse 40, Martha explodes with anger. She comes out the kitchen, boiling mad, a bit like I was that Christmas. <laughs> Don't you care? Don't you care that my sister has left me to do all this work on my own? Tell her to help me. At this point, Martha doesn't even call her sister Mary. She just calls her sister. So she, it shows that she was, she was getting angry at this point. If you're getting angry all the time, pay attention to what you're focusing on. If our focus is on the situation rather than our saviour, then we just need to refocus. We need to focus back onto Jesus, back onto to what he's saying to us. And then thirdly, Loss of focus causes resorting to self-pity. Do you know what all this boils down to? Martha is feeling that life isn't treating her fairly. It's just not right that I'm being treated this way. No one cares that I'm doing all the work. It becomes a bit of a pity party with her, doesn't it? It says, but Martha was distracted with all the preparations. And distracted here means to be pulled away. In other words, to be taken captive. So the implication here is that, you know, actually, Martha wanted to be where Mary was. She wanted to be sat with, with Jesus at his feet, and I think that's probably why she was so annoyed. She knew she'd got distracted. She knew her focus had gone on to something else, and she was looking at Mary thinking, that's where I want to be, like I was at Christmas. I want to be sat on that sofa with my cup of tea falling asleep. But no. <laughs> She was, she was pulled away by a sense of duty and fretting about that meal had robbed her from the joy of listening to God. And sometimes if we're not focused and we're focusing on the wrong things, it robs us of our joy of listening to God. So Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing, one thing is necessary. Focus on me. Do we want the one thing tonight? to focus on Jesus. You know the great truth that loss of focus can be cured and it can be cured by just refocusing on Jesus and we can do that tonight. We can do that whenever. It's only a prayer. It's only just us talking to God and saying, look, I've got it wrong. I've been focusing on the wrong things. I'm going to just turn this round and I'm going to start focusing on you, Jesus. Jesus is the key. Select the best 
Build your relationship with Jesus and you will have the rest. You know, we can be so busy with the things of life, can't we? And we become so distracted by what is going on that we actually miss Jesus, that we actually miss what the old point is all about. And I really felt when I was preparing this word tonight that God wants to remind us that, yeah, we've got 101 things to do. We're all serving. You know, we've got two services. It's busy. The pastors are away. But actually, God's saying, I just want some time with you. I want you to sit at my feet. I want you to listen. I want you to soak in my presence. And then actually, everything else will just come out of that anyway. But if we get it the wrong way around, that's where we start moaning. and We start complaining like Martha. We start getting the wrong attitude. We start, when we don't, we don't do it with the right attitude, then do we? We start having to go at each other. And it, and it becomes odd. And we, we're not as effective. But, you know, God wants us to just give ourselves to him so that he can fill us and so that we can be more effective to the people around us. I want to just show you um, a short illustration now. If I can have my glamorous assistants come forward, please. (laughs) Okay, so we've got two bowls here of water and two sponges, okay? So this sponge over here has been wait a minute (laughs) getting too excited so what (laughs) so we've got one this sponge has been soaked in this bowl through the whole of the service okay so it's soaked right in this sponge has just come out of the packet before service it it has but my dad started wiping the floor with it so if it's a bit dirty that's why (laughs) So that's not touch the water, this one, okay? So what I'm going to ask you to do, Dad, is just squeeze that out as much as you can of water into that jug. Come on. <laughs> Keep squeezing, it's still coming out, look. <laughs> we got every last drop okay can you just show everybody how much water is in that jug we're not having a wet sponge competition (laughs) no I'm saying show the jug with how much water's in it look so can you all see how much water's in the jug okay right mum I'd like you to do the same thing with that sponge dip it in the water and then put your water in the jug Oh, come on, squeeze it, squeeze it. <laughs> oh, right, Dad, can you just try and squeeze that sponge that Mum's got, please, just to show that it's just not Mum being weak. <laughs> There's definitely no more water in that sponge, is there? No, right, can you both hold your jugs up then together? So, can we see the difference? Can you pass me that one with all the the water in? Thank you. Thank you. Give them a clap. (laughs) So sponges work at maximum capacity when they first sit and soak, which we can see. We've got the proof, haven't we? We look in this jug and how much water is in there. When they be in the water and then they're filled with that water, it's squeezed out, then they do. 
So if you wash your car, I don't take it to the car wash, but if you was washing the car with, that, with both of those sponges, you might get round one side with the one that Dad just pulled out of there, but that one, if you just dipped it in, you'd be, you'd be having to keep going back, wouldn't you, and putting it in the water. So what I'm trying to say is, because this sponge was soaked in the water for that length of time, it had a lot more to give out of it. There was a lot more coming out of that sponge than in that one. And it's the same with us. When we sit and rest and soak in God's presence, it fills us, just like that sponge. It fills us up. And we get more and we get more from God so that when we come to do his work, when we come to serve him, we have so much more to give. We're so much more effective. If we don't, we end up like this one, where we burn out, we've got nothing left, we complain, we get annoyed, we feel stressed, and we just do a circle then, don't we? Because then we know we have to go back anyway. Why, why go around the houses with it? Let's, let's do what Mary did. Let's want the one thing, to sit in God's presence, to soak up as much as we can, because it's there for the taking. It's there for the taking, for us to get whatever we can from God so that we can be more effective in a world out there that needs Jesus. But it's about us wanting to do that, us wanting to focus on the one thing. And I want to just give us a bit of a challenge to finish tonight. Just that we're coming into a week this week that's going to be busy. I know for if you work, work in education like we do, we've had an old summer off. And we went back to work a couple of weeks ago, which was great because there was no students there. But it's very different, our job, when we've got students, which are all coming back tomorrow. And I know, like, if you've got kids that are going back to school, it's back into routine. So you go from having August, where it's holiday time, where it's quite chilled out, isn't it? And then September, you're back into the busyness of life again. And I believe that God's saying to us that no matter how busy we are, me included, I'm always busy. I'm always putting stuff in the calendar, even in the holidays. I don't know whether I'm coming or going. I'm always like, oh, yeah, we're doing this. What are we doing? Glenn's like, who are we meeting tonight? It's like, busy, busy. But we've got to make that time to spend with Jesus. And I just challenge you that for this week, just say for the next seven days till you come here next Sunday, make a promise with God to say, right, I'm going to make some time every day just to sit and soak in your presence, not to tell him all your problems, not to say, to start talking so you can't hear what God's saying, just to literally sit and soak in his presence. Even if you just give 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes a day, what's 10, 15 minutes out of 24 hours? It's nothing, is it? And choose a time that's good for you. I mean, sometimes when I go for a run on my own, I, that's the time where I clear my head and God speaks to me through that and because I'm just well I'm not still I'm running but my head's still and I can think and I can take in what God's saying to me so it doesn't necessarily have to be just sitting there it can be you going for a walk or as long as you just give that time to say God I'm just going to rest in you I'm going to soak in your presence because I think that by the end of this week that you'll see a massive difference you'll feel different and then you'll be ready to do what, what God has called you to do. Not with complaining, not with moaning, not with getting stressed out, because you'll be full up and you'll be like this jug where you've got so much more to give. So let, let's be a Mary 
a bit more Mary-like instead of being Martha and sit at the feet of Jesus. Amen?